Hello, and welcome to the e-learning and instructional design for beginners podcast, where new and aspiring instructional designers start, grow, and advance their careers in instructional design and online learning development. I'm your host, Crystal Harper. I'm a former school teacher who transitioned to instructional design, all while working full-time as a single mom. Would you like to become a successful instructional designer without the burden of earning another degree? Well, then let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the e-learning and instructional design for beginners. Today, I have a special guest, Dr. Ray Pastor, on the show. Dr. Ray is a full professor and program coordinator of esports and online teaching and learning within the instructional technology program at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. He is an active YouTuber with over 3.2 million views, recently published his first book, and has 28 peer-reviewed journal publications. With a background in management consulting, game design, game-based learning, and instructional design, he has worked on projects for Fortune 100 companies, the military, as well as a myriad of schools and universities. In addition to serving as coordinator of UNCW's esports program, Dr. Pastor is faculty advisor of UNCW's Seahawk Esports Club. He holds a PhD in instructional systems from Penn State University. Wow, now that's a super impressive background. I'm so glad to have you. Welcome, Dr. Ray. Thank you, welcome. First, I'd love to learn a little bit about you and your background. Okay. How did you get started in online learning? What drew you to the field of technology? I got, I kind of got swindled into being an instructional technologist. When I was, I was in college, I was an undergrad in the late nineties and there was no such thing as web development or graphic design or anything like that. You had to choose computer science was your degree. And I just, I wasn't interested. I learned programming, but I didn't want to do it as a job. And I found this thing called instructional technology, which would allow me to work with Adobe Photoshop, Adobe Flash. I guess they were not Adobe. It was Adobe Photoshop at the time, but it was uh, Macromedia Flash and Dreamweaver and develop websites. And I was like, I want to develop websites. This is what I want to do. Send me to that graduate program. When I got there, I was like, what is this learning stuff they're teaching me about? Why am I learning about learning and training? I just want to develop websites. But I started to really, really like that design that like training design and theory aspect to it that I didn't even know existed when I signed up for the program. So I kind of, I got interested in it because of my love for tech. That's awesome. That's so cool. Came in from the opposite range, but like, it's crazy because yeah, I didn't even know what it was either, but you started and you said the late nineties. Yeah. And there was no such thing as graphic design at the time. There was just right. computer art was like, didn't really exist. And people were just starting to make websites. And it was like a really small field. You couldn't really go to college and take like a course on web design. And that's what I was interested in. And there just wasn't anything like that at the time. I guess now it's still like up in the air where that, where that should exist. But, and sometimes it is in instructional tech programs. So it's cool to, to have right. listened to their stories to like what the field is doing today day see like the differences over the last like 50 to 70 years of the field still like there aren't enough people out there that even know what it is still I think everyone oh yeah no we're a very small field we are a very small field compared to other we're really small so it's a small there's a lot of people in it it's getting bigger every company has a training team but 
we as a field we're we're very small when we talk about like i look at numbers of publications mm -hmm. and things like that we're, we're really tiny i know but with e-learning growing so much lately hopefully i think it's going to i think everyone's, everyone's heard of e-learning but they still don't know there's like this magic person behind there that actually is developing right. it and has developed a career right. for developing e-learning called an instructional. like i don't think that's set into the public but everyone knows what e-learning is there's this uh disconnect and what our field really is. So there's like this education part where maybe your program or pieces of your program were very K to 12 mm -hmm. focused yeah. versus the corporate side. So there's like this disconnect sometimes in what classes students have to take it depending on what program they've selected. Definitely, yeah. Yours is education and corporate, right? Your program. We're mostly corporate. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, my background is the management consulting and I still own a consulting firm. So I did a lot of government contracting and I still own a consulting firm doing all well, I've, I've actually done some government as well, but mostly all corporate consulting. So I'd say my program is much more geared towards that. But a lot of my students are K to 12 educators leaving education to go into corporate, which is right. why my programs really transitioned into that. So why do you think gamification is a must in e-learning? I guess I'll frame this in two ways. So the first thing I will say is that the only thing that's a must in education or learning is what's required to solve your problem. Whether that's gamification, whether that's problem-based learning, they are appropriate at various times and not appropriate at various times. So having said that and got that out of the way, let's talk about the cool stuff about gamification. So gamification, and a lot of people misinterpret what this term means. So just to define what I say when what I mean when I'm saying the term, it's applying game-like elements into a non-game situation, like a classroom or something like that. But a lot of people sometimes say gamification and they really mean game-based learning, which is gaming for learning or really gaming anywhere. So it's, it's kind of like this weird thing where you have to explain what you mean, mm -hmm. or I, sometimes I have to just assume people really mean just game-based learning and why is gaming mm -hmm. popular in general for learning, not just gamification. Um, but it's a must in that, in the fact that when appropriate, it can engage and motivate your learners. So anything that engages people, anything that gets your learners interested in times when they may or may not be is awesome and should be added to a piece of training. Now, a lot of people will add just like leaderboards or take some like piece of gamification and try to throw it into somewhere where it shouldn't exist. And then it's not going to work correctly. So it's all about like incorporating gamification elements into design where they're going to be effective. But yeah, in those situations, yeah. Why would you not want to engage your learners? Why would you not want to get them, you know, more excited about what they're learning? about that steady flow that we talk about in game-based learning, that flow that they, they're learning and they want to, and they're motivated, you know, this keeping up those levels of engagement are so important. So when you can do it and when it's easy to incorporate and you have the time and the money, it should absolutely be included. Right. Yeah. You make really good points on that too, because there are so many different elements and yeah, you're right. It could be confusing or not even motivating enough if it's, if they're only using one particular element. You know, it's, it's an interesting, it's just one of those things where like, I'm the biggest gamer in the world. I teach esports. I yeah. play video games every right. single day. I've been competitive in video games, but like sometimes I go into a course and I'm just like, just let me learn my material. I don't need to like this extra gaming portion wasn't necessary for this, but like, right. so it just has to be done correctly and it can't mm. just be thrown in. But when it's done correctly, like it's awesome. Like I talk about mm. one of the best ways I see gamification being utilized is in marketing and advertising. Like, mm. 
play our game and like keep buying our soda and like to play the game or like McDonald's Monopoly, like those kind of things work so well and are so effective. And they don't, they've done such a good job of that. That right. it's like, you know, that's when I see gamification working so well. So it's using it in the right places. Right. What do you think is the best way to identify training needs in a company? I would say the easiest way to identify needs is when someone else brings it to me. <laughs> that's the easiest way. So that's the best way to do it someone else has identified the problem already and they're telling me this is what we need right we're going to pay you to, to design this training but you need to do a, a front-end analysis mm -hmm. or some kind of analysis some kind of gap analysis you know i i pride myself in finding problems in every organization even though people might hate me for finding all the problems and everything especially like my wife and our household like finding problems with the house and and everything but uh you know, it's finding the problems and, and really doing a front end analysis, which you have to do. Even when I first meet with a client, I tell people I am, as I'm talking to them, even though we might only have a 30 minute talk, and that might be my whole analysis that I have is a one 30 minute phone call with this client. In that whole time, I'm trying to find out what exactly is the problem and what kind of resources do they have to solve that problem? So it's, it's probing questions. It's potentially looking at documents that they might send me. It's, you know, on a lot of levels, the client has to tell you or give you all the information so that you can correctly say, yes, what you've told me is the problem is. They, they're always coming to me with, this is the issue. And I have to determine if it really is. And then how do we go about really solving it? Maybe it's a training need and maybe it's not, you know, I've had clients come to me with problems and they want to develop training. And I'm like, this isn't going to solve your problem. Maybe I'll gladly develop it if you're going to pay me a lot of money, but I don't think it's going to actually work for you. And I'm very upfront about that in their expectations so that they're not upset when it doesn't work. Yeah. It seems like clients sometimes have unrealistic expectations. And also, yeah, it's a lot of investigating and figuring out the actual problem sometimes. With yeah. It, it can be, it can be a challenge. And sometimes as a, like as a consultant in my current role, I just, I don't have, they don't want me, they're not going to pay me to go in and do like an analysis for a month. So I have to, I might have maybe if mm. I'm lucky, three phone calls, three yeah. conference meetings, three Zoom calls, whatever, but that's about it. Usually mm. it's a one hour call and I have to write a proposal with a solution after that one hour call, if it's even that long. Right. So, you know, I have to do it quick and really, you know, you get experience and you can tell mm. like, oh yeah, this is a common problem across companies. I kind of know what they want. I know what they need because I've done this a hundred other times, but mm. like when it's something new, it's always, well, we need a little bit more. I, I need to meet right. with you a couple of times. Maybe I need to talk to someone else. Maybe I need you to send me what's going on. Yeah. And that all is depending on what the problem is. Like I've had clients say we're doing this training and it's not working. And I said, well, let me see your current training. And they send me like a 500 screen PowerPoint deck with no objectives, words like the, if I could develop the worst presentation in the world, like they've done it. Like, I don't even know how that's possible, but they have done it. <laughs> like I want to give them an award for having the worst presentation and they haven't developed it. Sometimes they're like, we paid a company $2 million for this. And I'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. But they they have and and they're they want me to solve that. Yeah. And I have to look at it and say, well, it's you know, we this course has been designed incorrectly. We need to reverse engineer what you've done. So you get a lot of that too. Yeah, it seems like a lot. I mean, it's a lot of hats that instructional designers have to play for sure. Yes. And um, it's a it's a weird <laughs> field because of that. Yeah. I know. And then with all the different companies and 
like we create content on anything and everything. So that's a whole nother. Yeah. You're not the me. It's, it's weird developing content on everything that you don't know. The client doesn't (laughs) always expect that they're going to have to do work, that they're going to have to feed Mm -hmm. you that content, Mm -hmm. you know, and give it to you. And yes, I'm going to become an expert on the content they're giving me. I'm going to get to know it really well, but like they have to give it to me. Right. But yes, it's a lot. You got to love learning. So what do you think is the most gratifying aspect of a career in online learning? Gratifying aspect. I would say that there are some cool things um, about it. I'd say the most gratifying aspect is that we have pretty good salaries. It's a job that can be different all the time. One company from the next can be vastly different from one another. One project from the next can be vastly different. So there's a lot of variation in what you can be doing. It's a job that if you like continuously learning and keeping up with technology, it's going to allow you and force you to do that because there's always going to be new training tools out there, new things people are doing. Um, And all of those points could be frustrating to the wrong person as well. Like those are all things that I like about it. Like I like being able to work in tech. I like being able to play with different technology and always having a cool computer and like the latest thing. But if you're not into that stuff, then the tech part of the field is going to really frustrate you and drive you crazy. So, you know, those are things that I think are rewarding. You know, our salaries are good. I have students coming out of their program right now making in the low six figures at the highest, the highest scale. That's the start. But, you know, on average, making in the 70s, those are pretty good salaries compared to like, you know, other fields. So they're, they're they're good. It's also not a huge field, which is both good and bad. You can get to know everyone. You can rise up and become a recognized name pretty quick and easily, which is good for a lot of people. People enjoy that. So I think there are definitely like some cool things about the field that I've enjoyed. And those are all things I also think someone can absolutely say, well, I don't like the field because of that too. So there is a place for people who don't want to deal with the tech. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's a place as an evaluator, there's a place as a performance improvement consultant, there's a place as just doing design work and handing off to a developer. But in general, a lot of people expect us to wear all of those hats and you really have to kind of juggle all of that. So yeah, if you don't like it, then you're going to have issues in the field, like being successful. So you have to, I usually tell my students to like find the part of the field they really like and try to excel there. Like if it's evaluation, go that route. I have students that are just doing like, you know, performance improvement and they love it. That's what they liked. And they have jobs just doing that. So find your passion and follow that. I mean, I try to encourage my students to do that, but yeah, you got to figure you know, I knew I liked the tech. That's why I went into the field was to develop websites in the late 90s. You know, I wanted to be a web developer. So, you know, go figure like we don't, we don't know where we're going to end up, but I'm still doing that. Like I'm, I'm still developing content. Like I was a content developer, you know, look at my web love for web development. It was really content development. And now I'm doing a lot of video and video stuff. Like I've always loved developing my own content. So I'm still doing what I love, you know, 20 some years later. Right. And I love that, like what you were saying, there's so many different options and there's, there's so many different paths you can go in instructional design. Which do you think has the best opportunity in e-learning academic or corporate? Oh, that's a good question. I would say it depends where your passion is because there, there are careers in both of those industries and they're different from one another. So, you know, if you're, if your goal is to like be doing research and be a faculty member, then obviously you're, you're going to go into academic, but if your goal is just to be an instructional designer, um, you know, it's a tough call. Like, do I go into academic or corporate or maybe even government? 
as well, because that's a that's another area. You know, the the academic part of instructional design isn't going to pay as well, um, but it's a different kind of work. You're usually working with faculty or working internally with a college to develop their courses and their plan. It's a little more relaxed pace in that, you know, you're not going to have the same schedule. You're not, probably not going to have like those weeks where you have to work like 120 hours a, a week because your client's like demanding something. Um, it's going to be a little more laid back, a little more, a little less stressful, and your job's going to be a little more secure. So those are all advantages of academic. But as I said, your salary is going to be a little on the lower end. Now in corporate, your salary is going to be much higher. You have the opportunity to make a lot more money, but there's a chance your job could be much more stressful depending on what you're doing. You might be worrying about getting the next contract or the next client, or you could be at a stable place too. You know, there's all kinds of variation in there. I'm just really generalizing what I typically see in the field, but I'd say in the corporate space, your job's probably a little more exciting as well. You probably, they have more money. They have opportunity to really work and do things different, especially like if you go into government and you're really interested in like VR and games and simulations like there's a lot to offer more opportunity there in like the government sector versus corporate and education um so it really depends what you want to do and what your goals are and also where you want to live like you know if your goal is to work remotely you corporate is kind of the way to go right now whereas higher ed really needs people to be there and government is a little iffy but it's usually they want people there as well so it kind of depends what you want to do where you want to be where you want to live as well like what resources are around the area that you're in so as far as like which is better it's there are advantages and disadvantages to everything like every type of industry you look at in instructional design so it really is about what best matches you as a person you know i i've had like a i've been able fortunate enough to be able to work in all those spaces like i started as a government well actually i started at metlife as an intern and i worked at metlife and then i went and I was a government contractor, worked for like the Department of Defense. And then I went into higher ed and worked as an instructional designer in, for PBS and then higher ed, and then became a faculty member. And now I own a consulting firm where I do mostly, I kind of actually am working in all three industries over the last two years with my consulting firm. So I get to see all those differences and they're just unique and have their I have things I like about each of them. That's awesome. Yeah. It sounds like you have a very broad knowledge on all of it. And you did a really good job explaining differences in um, both the education and corporate fields, because I think a lot of people get confused on all that. I get that question a lot about like where, which to go or what's the difference and everything. But yeah, I appreciate that. That was awesome. So why do you think teachers make good instructional designers? Well, it's not necessarily that I think teachers make it. I think anyone who has a passion for designing training or learning or is interested in e-learning in any way makes a good instructional designer. I personally enjoy, as a person who hires, I enjoy hiring teachers. I know that they have A, been teaching people for forever. So even though they weren't a curriculum designer as a teacher, they know what works. They also know how to command a classroom and people and know what motivates them and what what to do when someone's not learning it doesn't impact e-learning as much as it does like face-to-face -face training. So I really love to have teachers involved in any kind of face-to-face -face training because they have that like background. But, you know, teaching in general, a teacher comes into an instructional design program and they're going to have some background knowledge. Like when I say Bloom's taxonomy, even though I don't use Bloom's whatsoever, they're going to at least know what that is mm -hmm. versus someone coming in from like communications. She's going to be like, I've never heard of that before. 
It's not that, but I don't think that that's really a huge advantage either. You know, I teach like classes, like an assessment course, and all my teachers are learning just as much as everyone else in that assessment course, regardless of how long they've been teaching. So, you know, I don't, I, I think it gives you a little bit of background knowledge and there's some relationship, but it's not a big enough thing for it to really be too much of an advantage. So I don't know if it's the thing about teaching is that if you want to leave teaching, instructional design is a great place for teachers to go if they want to transition in the corporate. So where I think it's not that teachers are stronger instructional designers for any reason, I think so, so much it's that it's a, it's a really good transition field for teachers that want to stay within the learning space, but do something a little different, make more money be in corporate or government or whatever, just do something a little different, you know, maybe go on the curriculum design side of things versus the teaching part. So it's not so much that I, I think that they are better. It's more that I think that it's a good transition. It's very much related to what they're currently doing. So that's where I think the, the big push for teachers to Mm -hmm. do that when they're leaving, you know, they're searching like on the internet, like what can I do as a teacher in corporate America to get out of here? You know, 50% of teachers leave within five years. Mm -hmm. What can I do? And it's one of the things that comes up. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I would say like 60 to 75% of my students are all teachers leaving education. Now in my state, teacher salaries are really low, like really, really low. Um, So it's not, they're doing it for the, they're going to like, double or more than double their salary after getting the master's degree. So it's like, right. you know, a no brainer for them to want to do it if that's their goal right. is the, the money. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good fit, but yeah, like you make a good point. It has to be what you want to do. Half of my followers are teachers yeah. or were teachers. So, and then it's scary too, because they're having teacher shortages. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's, you know, that's not, that's not our issue. Like our right, issue, yeah. sure. Like that's, that has to do with states not paying teachers enough money. Like who wants to, like in my state, the starting teacher salary is like $30,000. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but like, yeah. you can't, my students are telling me like, I want to like Dr. Pastor, we want to buy a house. What do I say? I'm like, okay, I get it. Like you want, you need to buy a house. Like, yeah, I under, completely understand. Like yeah. that's a good reason to leave. Like we were having kids. We, we want a house. We want a home. Like we can't afford it. I know. You know? the career that they have, it's just, it just, I feel like it should be honored more than it is, but. Now that wraps up this week's e-learning and instructional design for beginners podcast episode. Now it's time for you to go out there and take action on what you learned about instructional design today. Remember, you don't have to earn another degree and get a formal education in in order to become successful in the field of instructional design. That's why I started the e-learning and instructional design for beginners. I would love to have you as an e-learning and instructional design for beginners member. My program is a proven step-by-step process you can use for a successful career in instructional design and create online courses from scratch. I offer a free membership that gives you the tools and resources you need to successfully start your career in instructional design and e-learning. To learn more, go to eteachonline.com join.